0: We have to focus on improving the welfare of Africa, and this is important because we're setting the foundation for Africa's future role and its bargaining power on the global arena 25 to 50 years from now.
1: Following an initial career in law and legislation, Selena Zuarara was introduced to the mining industry through a diamond mining company, where she rapidly rose through the ranks. Today, she runs her own consultancy, Autem Mining. Hi, I am Laura Cornish, Editor-in-Chief of Mining Review Africa, and welcome to Women of Impact, a special podcast series that tributes to women in all spheres of African mining. Today, online editor Richard Jansen van Feeren chats to Selina about her career path, how she manages to balance work and family time, and the important role that resources play in ensuring that Africa can lay a foundation on which it can build its bargaining power in the global economy. Let's join the conversation.
2: Hi, Selina. Thank you for taking part in our Woman of Impact podcast series for Mining Review Africa. Selina, you're no stranger to the inner workings of, of government process. So please tell us about your time as a legal advisor to the AG's office in Zimbabwe. What was your role and how do you describe the experience?
0: Well, you're right. My career did start off in the public sector when I joined the Legal Advice Division of the Attorney General's Office. I was a legal officer in that department and the division was responsible for providing legal advice to all government ministries and their related entities, that is parastatals or any entity that government has an interest in. So it was actually a perfect training ground for me because it increased my sense of awareness and uh, passion towards development and governance issues. I was also privileged during that time to sit and participate in forums where policy, national projects, international treaties and contracts were being structured, negotiated and prepared.
2: So I really learned a lot very quickly. Selena, when looking at your editorial contributions to Mining Review Africa, we can see that you're very passionate about the development of Africa and the role it'll play in the global economy. What's your vision for a scenario 50 years from now?
0: You know, everyone talks about the potential of Africa, but uh, we have not yet managed to fully unlock this potential. You can see that we still struggle with poverty, poor economic infrastructural capacity, limited social developments, and our economies are still very fragile and vulnerable to disruption. So in 50 years time I'd like to see a stronger Africa as an Africa with stronger economies with better standards of living and better infrastructure and definitely more leverage on the global arena and I believe that having minerals and oil wealth should enable us to ignite this sort of development through economic diversification so that we can improve the livelihoods of our people. However, We can only achieve this if we intentionally structure our resource policies towards social and infrastructural development. For instance, revenues from this sector must play a larger role in accelerating social development initiatives, as well as in financing national and regional development projects, which will improve the continent's economic infrastructure. So we have to focus on improving the welfare of Africa. And this is important because we're setting the foundation for Africa's future role and its bargaining power on the global arena 25 to 50 years from now. If we fail to improve the economic capacity of Africa, then we can be sure that the influence of Africa will remain weak even into the next century.
2: Okay, that leads me into uh, our next discussion point. We can see that the mining industry in Africa was picking up, especially in uh, the DRC and East Africa. And mm-hmm. that will be impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. So what do you think will change in terms of legislation and mining codes, particularly um, the the one in DRC and Tanzania, which has been quite controversial?
0: You know, I I think we're going to see measures that support growth because many resource-rich countries will be relying on the sector for economic recovery. And uh, therefore, we'll see a, a more considered push to stabilize the operational environment in those countries, especially the DRC, Tanzania, they had some issues last year in changing a lot of their main policies and legislative framework. But we're going to see an intentional push to stabilize the operational environment by pushing policy, legislation, and economic measures, which will be pro-investment and pro-business. There's also likely going to be a drive towards exploration and beneficiation because um, governments would want to add more projects into the industry, which would mean a wider revenue pool. And they would like to also enlarge the employment opportunities in the industry in order to spur wider economic diversification. So we're also going to see those topics starting to pick up pace again. And I also anticipate that there's going to be more significant support and progressive um, you know, regulation, which is going to be passed for artisanal and small-scale mining sector um, in these countries, because everyone right now is trying to optimize all available resources for the recovery period. We've seen this sort of interest, especially in, uh, in Nigeria. We even see it in Nigeria, in Zimbabwe, and then the two countries you also mentioned, Tanzania and DRC. There's a lot of interest picking up in trying to stabilize and formalize the artisanal and small-scale mining sector so that we optimize all available resources. And then I also think that this might be the proper environment to see and anticipate changes in safety and health regulations in the sector, uh, because definitely the new threats that have now emerged because of COVID-19 should be able to ignite more interest in, you know, firming up legislation and regulations around safety, health and environmental regulations. So these are the general you know, trends I think we're gonna see over the, the next couple of
2: years. So definitely lots of silver linings in the pandemic.
0: Definitely.
2: Selena, um, you're a lawyer by profession. So I'm curious to find out what led you to operating within the public sector.
0: You know, um, the Attorney General's office is actually a very good starting point for a lawyer because it's a strategic office in government. It acts like a large internal law firm for the entire government. And it does various things like it provides legal advice, uh, legislative drafting, policy and uh, research in the legal field. And it also handles civil and criminal actions on behalf of government. So, When I joined the Legal Advice Division, my intention was to also contribute to the skill pool that was available to government. I also wanted to learn because the level of exposure you get in the office is totally unparalleled because the scope and impact of the projects and matters you work on at both national and international level, gives you distinguished experience and enhances your capacity. You know, when I look at the public sector, a lot of people shun the sector, but the public sector, the capacity of the public sector, directly determines the fate of a country, because this is the machinery that makes uh, everything work, that and that acts on our behalf. So the stronger the public service is in terms of resources, in terms of skills, in terms of capacity and values, then the more a country will be able to tread on a more progressive path. So we need to be able to attract and retain highly skilled resources within the public sector. And this really uh, needs, to, needs to spur more interest from, from even young children coming from college to join the sector because we need to fortify the skills and the capacity of our public sector if we want to see progressive development in our countries
2: absolutely your uh, your first taste in the mining industry was with a diamond company how did that happen and what are your takeaways from this period
0: while i was working in the in in the attorney general's office uh, a colleague of mine managed to get an opportunity to become a company secretary in this diamond mining company and she asked me to join her as her league Legal assistant. So, actually, I actually started off as a legal assistant in the legal department of this diamond mining company. And I joined the, the company at a time that the diamond sector was expanding in Zimbabwe. And this gave me the opportunity to be part of an entity and a sector that was still growing. And I learned a lot throughout this, this uh, growth process. The transition to the private sector was significant for me because it allowed me to actually witness the interplay between business and regulation. It's one thing to sit in an office and craft policy, and it's another thing to actually see how that policy interacts with business and its practicality. So, it actually shaped my desire to work in consulting because I witnessed the opportunities and the tensions that exist between public interest and commercial interest. I began to take more notice of the potential that exists for social and economic development when these two different interests are actually appropriately balanced. And it was actually during this time that I made up my mind that I would stay in the mining sector because I was convinced of the sector's potential to improve economies and um, it also shaped me in terms of work ethic because the work company the, the company I worked in also taught me a lot about hard work and good work ethic. The expectations were always very high and there was always a lot of pressure but we had a board we were fortunate enough to have a board that believed in empowering young people and naturing leadership so we also grew bolder and more professionally refined during this period.
2: From here, you furthered your studies at the University of Pretoria. Tell me about that period and how it continued to shape your career path.
0: Okay, so yes, I did enroll for the um, LLM in Extractive Industry Law in Africa with the University of Pretoria. And we were actually the first group to undertake this program in 2016. I decided to do that master's because I wanted to consolidate the practical experience I had obtained in the industry and to strengthen my skills. So the program has participants from across Africa, and it enabled me to get out of a limited perspective of seeing the industry only in relation to Zimbabwe. I I got to appreciate how the industry has developed across Africa and its potential at regional and continental levels. So I came out with a broader perspective than I had started with. And um, it was after this period that I... I started after I completed the program, that's when I started auto mining consultancy. And I stepped into consultancy mainly because I just had a baby also during that time and I wanted greater control over my time and workload so that I could spend as much time as I can with my family. So consultancy has afforded me that greater degree of flexibility because you can choose the projects you're gonna work on, you know how to allocate your time and work around also your, your commitments at home. And I really appreciate that because even though I'm very passionate about living a professional legacy, I'm um, also I also want to have balance. It's important to have that balance because when we talk about transformation, societal transformation and change, it actually begins at home and in the values that we impart to our family and our children. So I want to be able to make sure that. Um, I balance my time well between work and also between my family. So that's how I got in. That's why I chose consultancy in, instead of going back into the mainstream corporate eight to five.
2: That's no mean feat juggling uh, family and, and career. It, uh...
0: Oh, it's not. <laughs> it's not at all.
2: <laughs> we will continue our conversation with Selena after this short message.
1: Do you know of a company or individual who is making a real difference in African mining? Now is your chance to give them the credit they deserve. The Mining Elite in Africa 2021 yearbook, published by Mining Review Africa, will focus on those companies and individuals who are making a tangible difference across the African mining sector, to their own businesses, the regions in which they operate, all stakeholders, and the greater economies. So don't miss out on this opportunity to shine a light on those people and projects changing the face of mining as we know it. To nominate, please go to MiningReview.com and search Elites. Nominations close on 30 September 2020. Mining Elites in Africa 2021. Paying tribute to leaders who are making a difference in African mining.
2: Welcome back to our conversation with Salina Zuwarara of Autumn Mining Consultancy. I can tell from your editorial contributions for Mining Review Africa that Mm -hmm. you have great insight, as you mentioned earlier, into the artisanal and small mining sector. Um, You're also involved with the Green Mining Association. Yes. Can we touch on uh, sustainability and greenfield projects?
0: Sure. Um, My editorial contributions to Mining Review Africa are actually born from the need to keep important conversations alive in the mining sector. And one such conversation is around the artisanal and small-scale mining sector. I really believe we have still not utilized the potential of this sector purposefully. And this is because... We have not brought the sector, no, we, we have a lot of uh, regulations and a lot of activity and discussions happening, but we still have not brought the, the sector under effective control and oversight. Uh, many countries have made cursory regulatory provisions, but no one has actually, no government has actually assumed full ownership of the sector and its shortcomings. And why I say this is because we have largely left important issues relating to uh, responsible sourcing standards, to sustainability, financial support, and even market rationalization. We have left these issues to third parties and even um, market-supported interest groups to to fill in that gap and rationalize things for us. And yet, this role is supposed to be taken and directed by governments themselves. And Green Mining Association in Zimbabwe is one such organization. The association structures and provides private funding options for artisanal and small-scale miners, as well as supporting prudent financial management and the adoption of sustainable practices in environmental, social, and governance issues. So basically, they're trying to assist smaller and medium-tier companies to to participate in the green economy, to adopt good financial and management practices, as well as to find um, financing, which is very hard to find in mainstream financing options. So they run various projects um, which support their cause. And because they are self-funding, they look for their own uh, resources and money to provide this financial pool. It's very, their, their work is still limited because of lack of funds. So one of the key things that we we work with when we're working with green mining is, is to look for funds and to help them structure the programs and support green mining uh, projects which they're rolling out through the ASM sector. So I I really believe that we need to step up. Governments need to step up and assume more control. We've seen this. I was very impressed to see uh, that Nigeria has started taking on you know, biometric registration of the tisnal mining sector, and it is driving gold, um, the gold sector, very, you know, progressively. But we need to see governments assume more control over the sector and more responsibility in terms of the salient issues in the sector, like responsible sourcing, like financial support, and market rationalisation. Because when we look at it, governments are the only institutions that actually possess the institutional capacity and reach to effectively bring support to the sector that can make the sector sustainably um, viable and also to integrate it fully into the mining industry. So a lot still needs to be done. While there's a lot of conversation, we have not taken or assumed enough responsibility over the sector so that we can help it elevate into a more sustainable, and more commercially viable state of existence.
2: That's that's very true. Um, we have an event coming up uh, called uh, Nigeria Mining Week where exactly what you've been talking about should be one of the main talking points in the uh, panel discussions.
0: It should, definitely.
2: It, it absolutely has to be. Selena, Black Swan events force global industries to revise their operating costs. So is it safe to assume that a a smaller consultancy like your own will find it easier to pivot and adapt from a financial scale and possibly an operational scale than the larger more established companies in Africa?
0: Well, you know, if we look at it purely from a perspective of scale, we can say that it's easier for smaller entities to adjust to change because this is because smaller entities have lower overheads and they can scale down faster and at a lower cost than large entities. Let's take, for example, right now we're hearing a lot about retrenchments. A retrenchment bill is very significant, so this is a problem that a small entity would not have because already your, your workforce is very lean. But uh, we also see that larger entities have a stronger chance for long-term survival because um, they have access to more resources and they have stronger balance sheets and uh, stronger client portfolios and wider market reach. So these are very important in looking at long-term, uh, the long-term ability to sustain pressure. So, You know, we are seeing a mixed bag in terms of of the organizations and entities which will survive. There are some big organizations which are folding. There are some small organizations uh, which are also folding. The future really belongs to those who manage to leverage their internal capacity and who are agile and resilient, irrespective of whether you're big and small. For me, my lessons from both the 2008 financial crisis and the pandemic are that we're now f- entering a period where we're facing unprecedented and con- an inconsistent escalation of risks in the business environment. So whether you're big or small, you will only remain relevant if you manage to do, firstly, to form strong partnerships and business relationships along your value chain, because the good faith of your stakeholders is actually more valuable to you in, in times of trouble. You know, they can throw you a lifeline, extend, you know, and lessen pressure on your business. And then, secondly, we now cannot ignore the use and integration of technology to complement the form and structure of our organizations. Not only will this reduce our costs in, in the long run, but it will also allow us to continue working in any kind of strained or hostile condition with minimal disruption. So these are the things that I, I believe both large and small entities need to look at as, uh, in this current business in environment and with the cal- current challenges that we're now beginning to face
2: it's going to be an interesting couple of months uh, into the new normal as they say (laughs) um it is (laughs) selena looking at your editorial contributions and uh, our conversations i can see that you've definitely challenged yourself personally academically and professionally and that's extremely inspirational with that in mind um, What advice do you have for young women looking to make their mark, not just in the mining sector, but in life in general?
0: I think that the biggest lesson that I've learned in my journey is that uh, there are three important things. You should not be afraid to work and to work very hard. You should not be afraid to learn. We need to continue learning and improving our skills. And then we should not be afraid to be challenged because the kind of uh, operational environment or business environment or even career development challenges that are being faced now are very different and very and, and challenge you the core your core competencies we should not uh, we should not be afraid to be challenged i I once heard this uh, saying that says a man." who does not read has no real advantage of, over a man who cannot read. Meaning that, you know, when we attain certain, a, certain, a certain achievement or a certain state in our development, we should not stop there. We should continue to develop ourselves. We should continue to learn, to refine our skills and enhance our capacity. And this process means that you're gonna challenge yourself more and you're going to be more prepared for the opportunities that will come that will come your way. And then the other thing also is that there's now a general impatience for us to reach the top very quickly, but we cannot excel at big things until we learn to excel at the small things. So even as we start small, we need to be faithful within those small positions and work hard because that's what's going to set you apart and that's what's going to set you for the next level people respect hard work and they respect consistency and if you learn those two things then you will eventually reach the height or the pinnacle of your of your goals and your objectives so it's consistency hard work and always being able to learn and unlearn and refine you know your knowledge in your area of expertise
2: that's, that's great advice. Selina, thank you for your time and your, your insight. We're very lucky to have you as a regular editorial contributor on Mining Review Africa, and um, the future should be exciting.
0: It, it should be, and it will be. Thank you so much for hosting me on the series, Richard.
1: Thank you for listening. Please remember to like and share this podcast and subscribe to our podcast series on Spotify, iOS and other popular platforms. Also, check out the latest mining news, insights and analysis on miningreview.com.